Well, last year, it was, it was about a year ago, or roughly a year ago, when churches and businesses were touting this, this um, motto of 2020 vision. We were going in the year 2020, and people are having this 2020 vision. These, these were their goals, their plans, the direction for the year 2020. And for many people, it sounded real exciting what they had planned, except when COVID came, it kind of forced everyone to toss all their plans out the window because now we're entering into a territory none of us ever planned for and none of us have ever experienced before. And I, I have to tell you that I don't think 2021 will be quite like 2020, but I don't know what's ahead of us. I do know this. There are a number of companies that have produced vaccines, and so we're getting a, a, a handle on the coronavirus. I also know we're not going to have a heated political election this year, so that'll kind of help with things too. Um, but we don't quite know what's in front of us, and we want to press into God. And I know for me personally, over this last year, one of the things that I've learned through the whole experiences that we've gone through with COVID uh, is that my faith has been um, refined and my priori- priorities have been redefined. And some of you know I turned 60 back in September. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not old yet. Not old yet. I'm on the precipice, but I'm not old yet. Uh, but it has made me think, this is sort of like the fourth quarter. If I had to break my life into 20-year increments, uh, this is fourth quarter. And in the fourth quarter, it's like, hey, game on. You better, you better play to win. And it's made me want to go through uh, my life in a lot of areas and realign things, declutter things, go through. I mean, everywhere I look in my house and in my office and my file cabinets, I've got stuff that's been sitting there for years. I've got to start getting rid of some of this stuff. I want to travel lighter. I want to be more effective in what God wants me to do. I want to finish strong. I want to be lean and, and go where God wants me to go in the coming years. And as a church, we're sort of going through that too. We know that 2020 has changed us, and we have a different culture around us. And we believe that God is doing something within our staff to reevaluate our vision, where God's taking us. He's, he's done some incredible things over the 60-plus year history of this church. But where is he taking us for the next five years, 10 years, 15 years? He's definitely not finished with us yet. And we want to find out what he's wanting us to do. So the staff over the next several months will be praying, will be meeting weekly to discuss and dialogue about what is God saying to us? What is God revealing to us? And it's not just our staff. Our elders are praying. We want you to be part of it too. We, we want you to give us feedback. You, we want you to speak into it. We want you to be praying about this. Henry Blackaby wrote a series called Experiencing God. And some of you might remember in our old church, if you were there, uh, of us going through that. And he made a very memorable statement that God is always at work around us, and our job is to find out what God is doing and join him in his work. God isn't here just to bless our plans. He's here to invite us into his plans. And every church and every business has a mission, and a mission is is what you're about. And I would say the Bible lays out pretty clearly what churches are about. It's about making disciples of all the nations. It's very simply that. Um, But how is each church doing that? Because restaurants all have the same mission, too, to serve good food. But there's a variety of restaurants that serve different types of food. They prepare it differently. They package it differently. The atmosphere is is different. Even among kinds of food, like ethnicities of food, you can have Taco Bell Mexican food, if that's really food. you got Taco Bell. And then you've got, sorry if some of you really love Taco Bell. Um, I'm not one of them, but there's Taco Bell. And then you've got Albert Tacos. That's what I like. Then you've got... uh, got, uh, Three margaritas, and you've got uh, Hacienda Grill. I mean, all different kinds of Mexican restaurants that serve similar kinds of food, but they're different. And so uh, sports teams all have a goal. 
Football teams all have the goal of scoring more points than their opponent. I mean, that's their mission. Score more points than the other team, because then we win. But the type of offense they run, you know, the type of defense they implement, their coaching style, I mean, all of that is different. And, and we are one church among hundreds in Colorado Springs. And we all are on the same team in a sense. We're all trying to reach people for Christ, but we're doing it kind of in different ways. We all have a different role to fill. Uh, we are not New Life Church. We're not First Pres Church. We're not Restoration Church. We're Pikes Peak Christian Church, a unique band of people who are on a unique mission that God's called us to, to play a significant role in the building of his kingdom. We want to clarify, what is that role, Lord? What do you want us to do? So we're going to be seeking a vision. Now, what is a vision? A vision is a preferred future. It's a dream or a destination, or as I just say here, a clear picture of where God wants us to be. It's something in the horizon. You're not there yet. You may have a vision of losing 50 pounds. You may have a vision of finishing um, graduate school. You may have a, a vision of finishing a home project. I mean, those are visions. They're out there. Uh, but they don't just happen. Uh, but they are very motivating. Man, I want to get there. I, I want to I go on this vacation. You know, you want to get there. And so what it does is when you have a vision, it clarifies purpose. So in your life, you, you know, where you spend your time, how you're saving up your money, uh, what you're eating, you know, all these different things come into play because they're going to be influenced by your vision. It provides motivation. I mean, a vision has, is huge motivation. Think of the Ohio State Buckeyes. They had put, if you watch football, which was an exciting game um, uh, the other day, other day, the Ohio State Buckeyes had at the beginning of their year the score of the game they lost last year to Clemson in the bowl game. It was there all season. Every time they went into practice, they saw that score on the wall reminding them, you guys lost that game last year. Well, they had a rematch this week, and they were ready for it, and they pounded Clemson. Those guys were motivated. I mean, they were clicking because that was, that was their dream. That was their vision. That's what we want to get to. And all year long, they were moving in that direction to that game. Now let's see how they, how they do in the championship game. But they help to motivate. A vision motivates us. And it shapes our identity because as you're pursuing it, you become different. You know, it's not just about losing 50 pounds. It's about eating healthier. It's about being a healthier person. It's not just about getting a degree. It's about being a wiser, smarter, more skilled person. And as we move down this path of what does God want for us, it's not just to reach a goal. It's to be the kind of people that please him. Faithful disciples, obedient disciples. But a vision is different than the plans. A plan are the detailed roadmap to get there. It's the details of how you're going to get from here to there. It's like the mile markers. It's like the steps on the journey. It's how God is getting you from this point to that point. I mean, you can't lose 50 pounds without making some practical decisions of, okay, we're going to cut out desserts. Uh, I'm going to go for a walk every day. I'm going to go to the gym. You know, I've got to have specific steps to move us toward that vision. You need both. You need, you need a vision and you need plans. A vision without plans is a pipe dream. And plans without a vision is a nightmare. But you put them together, it's very powerful. You need both. And more importantly, you need God in the mix of it if you're going to try to do his will as a church. Because God is the architect of what he's doing in his kingdom. Remember Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say, I'll help Pikes Peak Christian build their church, or I'll Pastor Darren build his church. He says, no, 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 I'm building the church. I'm just inviting you to be part of the construction crew. It's my church. And so we have to press into the Lord. I think Proverbs gives some great wisdom in this. In Proverbs chapter 16, there's two verses that both speak to it. It says, commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. 
The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And we want the Lord right in the midst of it. And so for the next three Sundays, today, the next two weeks, we're going to talk about what I call blue sky thinking. Blue sky is a term that's used in strategic planning to to be um, kind of open-minded, to pull back all the restraints, to say, let's think of what could be. What does God want for us? What does God have for us? It's getting past the fears, the biases, the past accomplishments, or the past failures, and say, hey, let's put all that behind us. What is God saying now? The sky is blue. It's it's limitless. It's, It's boundless. What does God want us to do? Because you know that our thoughts are not his thoughts. His thoughts are much higher. So how do we give above our thoughts to his thoughts? We've got to seek him. We've got to pray. We've got to say, God, what are your thoughts? What, what do you see that we don't see? What are you thinking that we're not thinking? A vision is seeing what God sees for his church. And to, to discover God's vision, we must see what is and what should be. We need to see both. What currently is and what should be. And there's a tension. Because though we want to be grateful for where we are, there, there's this unsettledness of we're not, we're not finished You know, I'm grateful for where God's taken me, but I want to go further. I think there's more. And that's where this tension lies between gratitude and then desiring something even more. So we've hired a consultant to help us in this process. He's actually offered his services free. His name is Nehemiah, and he's found in the Bible. We're actually going to look at the story of Nehemiah, incredible story of a man grabbed a hold of God's vision for his people and began to be used by God to accomplish a great thing. We're not going to go through the whole story, but just the first chapter to look at how did that vision birth itself in Nehemiah and how can God's vision for our church and probably for you personally be birthed in you. So today we're going to talk about open eyes. Next week we'll talk about restless hearts. And the third week, surrendered wills. And when you put all those together, you're on the way to fulfilling God's vision for your life. So with any journey, you've got to start where you are. You can't get to Disney World without starting at Colorado Springs Airport or Denver. You know, you've got, go, you got to start here to get to there. So we want to spend a little bit of time today just looking at where has God been moving right here? What's God been doing around us? Here's what it says in the, in the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, and it'll serve as a guide for us. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Now, for those of you who don't know, Nehemiah is a Jewish man who's in Persia. His job is to be cupbearer to the king, a very trusted position. The cupbearer was the one who brought the wine to the king and then tasted it in his presence so that it was safe to drink, because in many cultures, if you wanted to take out a king, you poison his wine. And so he wanted to, you had to make sure that this person who's bringing you the wine is extremely trusted because they're going to get bribed by a lot of other people to turn against you. So Nehemiah has a privileged position in the court of, of King Cyrus, who's the king of Persia. Now, the, the Jews are going to be let go by Cyrus, who's this king, to go back to their homeland, to Jerusalem, to rebuild their temple. Now, why are they in Persia? Well, To make a long story short, through repeated um, acts of disobedience in the Old Testament, God's people um, continually drifted and worshipped the false idols of other cultures. And God finally threw his hands up and says, you know, I'm kind of done with you. And you need to be taught a lesson. And so other armies came in. First the Assyrians came in, took a bunch of them away. And then the Babylonians came in and finished them off. They destroyed the temple, stole the precious um, vessels from the temple, 
took those to Babylon, that's under King Nebuchadnezzar, and then took some of their prized men and families to Babylon as well. You might remember Daniel, uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Those are all part of the exiles that, that went to Babylon. And then over the course of years, Persia defeated Babylon. And when Persia defeated Babylon, Cyrus became this king over this vast territory of land and the Jewish people within his territory. But something amazing happened in Cyrus's heart. He, he knew that what he possessed was from God, and he praised God for that. And, he, and, and God put on his heart that he was to let those Jews go back home to worship that God who blessed him. And not only that, he says, I'm going to send you back with money for the rebuilding project. I will send you with meat and gold and silver so you can offer um, gifts to your God. And I'll return all the things that, that the former king took out of your temple, all the, all the gold and bronze and silver vessels. I'm going to return them all. Now, what's so ironic is God's people were in captivity because they wouldn't listen to God. And God now blesses them through a pagan king who does listen to God. Isn't that amazing? God is willing to speak to anybody who's willing to listen. And you know what? There's a lesson here that even though the Jews had drifted so far from God, he says, I'm not done with you yet. I still have hopes for you. And I think that's a great reminder to you and me. 2020 has been hard. A lot of us got out of rhythm. Some of us dropped out of church. Some of us uh, stopped reading the Bible, stopped really praying. Some of us just focused on survival. And, and, and God's still for you. Some of you fell back into addictive behaviors. Some of you got caught up in things you shouldn't have gotten caught up in. Some of you got caught up in conversations you shouldn't have gotten caught up in. But God says, I'm not done with you yet. I still have plans. I'm still moving. I still want you to go forward. And as I look back at this last year as a church, I, I just can't help but see all the, all the cool things God has done for our church. And I don't know if you know all these, but I'm going to share with you where God has been moving amongst Pikes Peak Christian Church in 2020, ways we never saw coming. First of all, um, when COVID hit, we just, we just were driven to prayer more than ever before. We knew that we were entering into waters that we've never been in, and we're over our heads. We don't know how to deal with this. We don't know what it's like to, to, do, it, to do church when you can't, don't have a building anymore. We don't know how to do that. So, so it drove us to pray. And even when we, um, we used to meet in the coffee bar out here, about 15 of us in prayer, and when we were required to work at home, we did it online. We did it through Zoom. We'd have 30 minutes, sometimes 45-minute prayer sessions together. And it was just beautiful. Our elders prayed and sought God like, how and when do we reopen? What's that going to look like? You know, this church is doing that and that church is doing that. What does God want us to do? We better pray to discern his voice for us. What should we be doing financially through this whole thing? What should we be doing with our staff? I mean, seeking God, and we just learned prayer is so critical to, to discerning the movement of God. Secondly, um, live streaming became a whole new reality for us. Up to this point, we would put our services, at least our sermons on our website. You could watch them two or three days after Sunday. But we realized we have to go online on Sunday morning. And so we had to start pre-recording services on Mondays, have them mixed and edited and put together so they could play on Sunday. And then when the church reopened, we realized we can't pre-record, or at least we don't want to pre-record. Let's, let's do it live. Let's broadcast live, just like we're doing now. Problem is, we don't have the equipment. And it's not in our budget to get the equipment. Well, it just so happened that during the early days of COVID, our bank approached us, Cass Bank, wonderful bank, and said, hey, uh, you only have to make interest payments on your loan for the next three months. 
That saved us $25,000 over those three months. We got a bid for the equipment, which I thought would be, you know, $80,000, $100,000 to get cameras, computers, to take that room back there, turn it into a studio, all this. It was less than $25,000. And so all of a sudden, when June hit, we were online right away. And we've continued, and we're learning how to do that better and better every single week. That wasn't part of our plans for 2020. This building, um, it closed for three months. And rather than just leave it isolated, our facilities team said, you know what, this is a great time to renovate some of our rooms. We had contracted with some people, or at least we're going to contract to get some work done in our other building, the Next Gen Center, the nursery, and some other areas. And our team says, we've got all this time on our hands. Let, let, we'll do as much as we can, except for the really highly technical stuff like lighting and, and sound system and all that. But the paint, you know, we can do that. We can do the woodwork. We can do all this. And so that whole team worked for those three months to renovate those rooms, saved us over $100,000 as a church. Isn't that amazing? And we never would have gotten, been able to do that had the church been meeting every week. But since it was shut down, like, hey, God's provided an opportunity. Let's do it. By the way, something else that's happened. We've realized that the plans to finish that project as, as we originally planned would cost another million dollars. We said, God, we can't do that. We don't have a million. We don't want to take the loan out to do that. So we've revised our plans. We think these are great plans. We're actually going to uh, take the money that's in our building fund and use it and be good stewards of it and do as much sweat labor as we can. And already we're in the process of renovating all the classrooms for our kids up there. We'll be emptying out this basement into a, 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 a storage building over here and begin working on creating adult classrooms right below us and not costing us any more than we already have. I mean, it's just amazing what God has enabled us to do with the, with the funds that he's given. Our staff has gone through a lot of changes. I never realized until I uh, started counting the names, we had staff, seven staff people uh, leave our staff this past year for various reasons. God calling to them to another ministry, God calling them home to be homemakers, different things like that. He's brought new people who are just very gifted. I mean, we're so blessed. Carrie Only being our adult discipleship admin assistant who's helped pull together all of our adult ministries during this time. She's getting us ready for the Chosen series. Um, Wendy Wagoner, who is so highly gifted in the area of children's ministry, walked in and really rescued us in a time when we really needed her help. Uh, Romy Sanders, who's uh, working at our care center to meet people who are seeking benevolence and coming in for counseling. We have Alyssa Love, who's our child care coordinator. You guys may not know this, but um, that's the babysitting that takes place for other programs outside of Sunday morning. But we don't do babysitting anymore. We do ministry. So at, kids are actually being taught lessons. They're, they're following curriculum when they gather in those rooms. Um, Scott Price came, and he was a lifesaver for me, my right-hand man, who came in and just has helped to reignite some fire with our staff. He's, he's able to walk through a lot of the details of, of church ministry. Jesse Bergeron, who's right back there in our tech booth, our first full-time tech director, is helping us be better with the online, with all the technical stuff that we rely on Sunday after Sunday. And just recently, we hired a very small part-time role, Darren Fahey and Eric Hudson, to bring stability to our Celebrate Recovery ministry. Prior to COVID, there were 60 to 80 people coming every Friday night for worship, for um, teaching, for youth ministry, for children's ministry, for small groups, and they become like a mini church within our church. And we want that to continue, not only continue, but to grow. And so on January 15th, they're going to launch kind of the new year, five-year anniversary of CR. You're welcome to come and celebrate with them. But God's done some great things, and we believe God's going to grow that to over 100, 150 people coming on Friday nights who are broken and searching for God's help. All this happened in the midst of this chaotic 2020. 
And speaking more specifically about our kids and students, Wendy came in the midst of COVID, not knowing what we had done before and not knowing how you do ministry during COVID. And there were some rough bumps along the way, but she pulled together a great team and a great ministry to our kids. And our kids love coming here. Our kids that are in ministry love what our church is doing for them. And just this past Christmas, they were able to perform a children's Christmas musical that got broadcast online to parents and grandparents. I was down in Arizona and got to watch it. Uh, They're planning on on improvements to the curriculum going into this new year. And Dustin with the students, now they have a great facility to use. He's been meeting with the kids. There's a new energy among the students. There's a worship team composed of students that's leading worship in that new place. And Noah Mebin, who came this last summer as an intern, is now going to come back full-time starting this next summer. And so we're just excited what God is doing, positioning things for the future. Um, Real quickly, on outreach. Scott and Nell Price, over a year ago, became our missions team's leaders, pulled all of our missions ministries from local, uh, national, global together under one umbrella, and, and have drawn up a vision of what they believe God wants us to be doing as a church. And it involves you being part of that. And you'll hear more about that next month. And then uh, finally, one other area. I just have to speak about our finances, because I never would have believed that if a church would shut down for three months, they would survive financially. I mean, it, I never thought it could survive two or three weeks. And we've more than survived. We're in a stronger position now than a year ago. And here's why. That you gave faithfully. And you gave generously. And we didn't meet our goal for the year. We were about $80,000 off of the goal. But we also had over $80,000 less in expenses this year. So we ended the year in the black. I know churches that have laid off staffs. I know churches that have closed down. We're not in either one of those positions because of your faithfulness. And God has honored that and blessed us. And we're going into the new year with just incredible thankfulness and excitement about what God has been doing. You know what? It feels like this. God has, has this undercurrent of a wave building. And, and our job is to get on top of that wave and to ride it. And look at all these things God is doing and say, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? What are you telling us to get ready for? Well, he's getting us ready for something. We just don't know exactly what. And part of discovering what the what is will be determined by what we see around us. See, we need to see first where God's been moving. We also need to see where people are stuck, where God isn't able to move because of the resistance in people's lives. See, Nehemiah knew that God was starting a good thing, getting his people back to Jerusalem, the reconstruction of the temple, but he didn't know after that what had happened. What was the progress report? They didn't have phones to pick up and call, didn't have uh, news reports coming across the, 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 the news wires, didn't have social media, so he didn't know until Hanani and his entourage came with the progress report. And so as he's inquiring, asking how the people are doing, he's kind of surprised by the response. Here's what they said. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, if you want to read more about that project, you can read the book of Ezra, where it tells us about a man named Zerubbabel who was the leader of the building project. They went back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. It didn't look like Solomon's temple, but it was a temple. And all through that project, they were hassled by their surrounding nations who didn't like them being back in the area. Those other nations would, would discourage them, would, would threaten them. They even wrote a letter to the king of Persia saying, hey, you need to be aware those people are turning against you. So all through that project, I mean, they're fighting just to get this part done, but what they don't finish are the walls around the city which are essential for protection, and the gates, because they'd been burned with fire. This was back when Nebuchadnezzar had ruined that. So picture this. 
We don't have um, gates around and, and walls around Colorado Springs, but, but think of it personally. If your house door was left open at night, you had no latch for it, no door on there, it just was open to the world, how peacefully would you be sleeping at night? Not, not very well, would you? That's the situation in ancient cultures. If they didn't have a wall around their city, very easily in the middle of the night, an army could come and attack you. And so these people are living in fear and they're living in shame because they're God's people. God, God called us to a life of abundance and prosperity and power. We're to be the nation that's favored by God and look at us. We're kind of a laughing stock. The other nations look at us and look how helpless we are. This, is, this shouldn't be. And it really shakes Nehemiah. The people are exposed and they're vulnerable and it gets to them. It doesn't have to. Nehemiah could have said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll, I'm going to pray for those people. He doesn't say that. He, it hits him so hard, shakes him to the core. It says in verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, we're going to look at these, these responses of the next couple weeks. But what happens is over the next period of, of months in his life, God begins to kind of burrow within his heart this restlessness, this vision that God wants Nehemiah to be part of changing the situation, that, that the people are stuck, but he's going to help get them unstuck. And Nehemiah is going to discover that his life is, is about more than being a cupbearer to the king of, of, of Persia. His life is about serving the Almighty God in a significant way. And I sometimes think that God has to get to us, shake us up, arouse us to realize, hey, your life isn't over. Where you are now is not where I want you to be. I've got a calling on you. I've got a plan for you. I've been doing things in your life to position you. I brought information to your ears. I brought a vision to your sight so that you could be part of this bigger story. See, our little stories are really subplots of God's bigger story. And when you get your story in line with his big story, it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful one. But, but here's the problem. I think 2020 has made many of us crawl into a hole of isolation. I mean, physically, we've been largely isolated, but, but even relationally, many of us have closed our circles down, closed the information flow down to where I'm just in a survival mode. I just want to get from here to there. I just want to survive today. I want to get to the grocery store and get groceries and get home. That's it. I don't want to do much else. And our life has become very simple. But what it's made us do is become blind to the needs of the world around us. We're not here as every man for himself. We're a community and we who are believers should be part of caring for our community. We need to be like the men of Issachar. The men of Issachar were, the Issachar was a tribe of Israel. And they were described in this way in, in 1 Chronicles 12, 32. Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. They understood the times. They, 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 they were aware of the culture they lived in. We need to be aware of what the world looks like now in 2021. This is not your grandparents' world. This is not your parents' world. This isn't even the same world as it was a year ago. And if we don't adapt and adjust, we'll be like the blockbuster video or Polaroid cameras, no longer real relevant. Churches that don't adapt to culture, I'm not talking about compromising doctrine, I'm not talking about minimizing the Bible. I'm saying applying it culturally. If we're not aware of what's happened in the culture, we don't know how to apply it. If a church doesn't get online, if the church does not have a website, I, I would su suspect in 10 years they won't even exist. 
Because so much now is flowing technologically. And we need to understand. You, you have to understand the problem before you undertake the project. And I look around the world, and it's pretty obvious to me that people are lonely, fearful, hopeless, confused, angry, polarized. Do you see that? I, I see it all around me. I hear it from so many people. And we can just assume, well, that's the way it is. And maybe we're right, maybe we're wrong. Or we can do like Nehemiah did. See, what did he do to discern the situation? He asked questions. The best way to know how people are doing is to ask sincere questions. I say sincere because sometimes our questions aren't sincere. Hey, how you doing? We don't really want to get an answer other than fine, never been better, you know, you know, blessed, whatever it is. You know, we hope to hear that because then we can move on. But if you really want to know how people are doing, you need to probably follow that up with, no, no, how are you really doing? How's your marriage? How's your relationship with your kids? How's your stress level at work? How are you guys making it financially? You doing okay? Lean in, listen, follow-up questions. I mean, we've got to kind of get our, get our feelers out there to know what's happening in our community. And things may vary from community to community because of, you know, the businesses and, and the influences around there. We have a distinct community, and we need to be asking people. But it's going to take courage. It's going to take compassion to do that. It's going to take courage to say, okay, they may think I'm weird. That's okay. I, but be weird caring for someone. That's okay. If someone thinks you're weird because you care too much, that's okay. Take the initiative. Get out of your bubble. Even if you're someone that's online and you're home and you're concerned about, you know, mingling among people, you don't have to go out and mingle among a crowd. Pick up a phone. Send someone an email, a text. Ask them these questions. See, here's your assignment. We need each of you to look to the people around you, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your classmates, your coworkers. Ask them questions, questions like these. What's your greatest fear or frustration? How are you being stressed or challenged? Where do you feel stuck or trapped? What hurdle can't you seem to get over? What keeps you restless at night? If we are going to discern God's vision for us as a church, we have to know the points of pain from the culture around us. Where are people being hindered in their relationship with God? Where are they blocking God's work? And oftentimes people are in a place where they don't know how to get out of it. Like we're here and we're, we're always here. It's like the Jews back in Jerusalem. We're just stuck here and it's, it's just going to be this way. No walls, no gates. That's just the way it's going to be. We'll just have to learn to live with it. There are people who are living with, with less than ideal marriages and, and family relationships and, and job satisfaction levels and all these things because people just feel like, I guess God doesn't want better, but he does. He wants to abundantly bless you. He wants to abundantly bless the people around us, but we got to help them get unstuck. We can either sit in our castles and criticize and watch the news and say, man, the world's going to hell and, you know, all these things are wrong and, you know, and the schools are doing it wrong and the government's doing it wrong and churches are doing it wrong. Or we can say, you know what, there's a lot of wrong out there, but I want to be part of the solution. God, I want to be part of that solution. Start to make me uncomfortable. I would tell you this, if you're going to be part of what God's doing, you've got to do like Nehemiah, leave your place of comfort and get uncomfortable because it's messy and it's painful to, to help other people get out of their messes. 
But we have to do that. And I believe God's calling us to do that individually and as a church. I want to ask you, as you start this new year, what a, what a time to say, God, I'm done with 2020. I mean, I'm thankful for what I've learned from it. And I've learned a lot of things. But this is a new year. And I want to be the person you want me to be. See, I believe as we as a church are going through this process of finding out what is God's vision for us, you're going to find God's vision for you personally within that, of what God is calling you to do, how he's gifted you, what passions he's stirred within your heart. Where do you connect with the bigger picture? Because God has a place for every believer in the work of his kingdom, in the building up of his church. And so I would like you to um, stand where you are. Online even, stand and get off your couch and stand with us. For those of us in this room, let's go ahead and stand. And if, you, if, if this would be helpful for you just to offer yourself like this to the Lord, let's begin 2021 in a position of openness. That we're not going to let the past constrain us. The sky is open. Our God is limitless. He has thoughts way beyond your thoughts. He has desires way beyond even your own desires. Let's, let's say, God, we're going to seek you in 2021. We're going to press into you like never before in prayer. In fact, we're going to talk about fasting uh, next week. We're, gonna, we're actually going to fast because we've taken this so seriously. We want to pursue you in this year because what you're doing is the most important thing in the world. So, Jesus, we come before you right now thanking you for ca- carrying us through 2020. And we thank you for what you're going to do in 2021. Lord, I believe that, that 2020 wasn't a setback, but it was a setup. For, for, for not only 2021, but for the years to come, for us personally and for, for us as a church. And so, Lord, we ask that you burrow your burden deep within us, that you help us to see what you see, to feel what you feel, and to be aroused to do something to make a difference in this world. Help us to move out of complacency, Father. Help us to move off our places of comfort. Help us to move away from our places of fear and move into your will for our lives. And so, Father, we, we, we just open ourselves to you. Show us, teach us, guide us, direct our steps. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, if any of you are in a place in your life where just giving your life to Christ is something you need to do, or maybe like the couple you saw, hey, I need to, I need to start fresh, I need to be baptized. We'd love to talk with you. I'm gonna be up front here. We'd like to meet with anybody uh, who's available to talk. I'll be there to talk with you and we'll talk with you about the next steps you can take in your life. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday.